Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Siobhan V podcast, where we explore new perspectives, ideas, and narratives around entrepreneurship and community development strategies. We'll feature upcoming incredibly talented founders in the startup ecosystem, sharing best practices, insights, and inspiring stories. I've been thinking a lot lately about how we can help build better communities while uplifting people along the way. Today's segment will focus on just that, including resiliency as it relates to our black and brown small businesses and communities across the nation. I really want to highlight and share strategies for how cities across the country can focus their efforts on helping to shape the future of black and brown businesses and communities, particularly those who have been severely impacted by the coronavirus. Let's start with the facts first. Small businesses are the bedrock of our communities. According to the JP Morgan Chase Small Business Data Dashboard, Small businesses with fewer than 500 employees account for 99% of all business establishments in the U.S. and are prevalent across the entire country. 2020 has most definitely been one of the most difficult years for the global community with COVID-19. The pandemic has caused an enormous health and economic strain to countries around the world. In the United States, the business community took an unprecedented turn for the worse as the country found itself facing a potential recession. In the wake of the pandemic, large corporations such as Disney laid off like 28,000 employees. Several industries had to make difficult decisions to furlough their employees or to shut down temporarily or permanently as well. Fact, the health pandemic hit the small business community the the hardest, causing thousands of small businesses to close permanently and partially. According to a study by McKenzie, the sectors most affected by the coronavirus and the least financially resilient include 1.7 million small businesses that employs 20 million workers and earn 12% of U.S. business revenue. The impacts of the virus have devastated Black-owned businesses, including local economies in which these enterprises operate in. Research at the University of California, Santa Cruz, in a report by the National Bureau of Economic Research, found that 41% of Black-owned businesses, that is some 440,000 enterprises, have shuttered by COVID-19 compared to just 17% of White-owned businesses. And the year has not even ended yet. With mandated local and state public closures um, enforced due to mitigating the risk of spreading the virus, Small businesses have and will continue to experience having no positive cash flow. We all know what happens when a business is unable to sustain itself financially. While some bit small businesses receive aid from the Trump administration's stimulus package, 
The New York Fed report revealed that only 20% of Black-owned businesses in high-density areas were eligible for the Payment Protection Program. Let that sink in. 20%. Most small businesses did not qualify for the Payment Protection Program due to not meeting the requirements to apply for the funds. Many small business owners didn't even have banking relationships with a lender, which is one of the requirements for applying for financial assistance. The question remains though, how many black owned businesses will survive and or reopen once the virus is under control? The answer is largely dependent upon the response of local and federal government's resiliency strategy. In my humble opinion, there are too many cities and talking pundits that are a little too comfortable with discussing the number of businesses that will face closures without discussing a resiliency strategy to help stabilize and restore local businesses. To me, this is unacceptable. I mean, financial relief relief has taken precedence. However, a long-term strategy is very much needed. One that starts at the policy level and ends with a concerted collaborative effort from local and federal agencies along with corporations. And I I completely understand that this is no easy task. Of course, the resilient capabilities of small businesses poses inadequate challenges. However, it calls for an expanded focus on resiliency as a key strategy for stabilizing and restoring America's black business communities. But what does that process look like? particularly for underserved communities where resources are often limited and, and, you know, including financial relief. That process begins with a coordinated effort from companies, organizations, banks, lenders, local and federal government agencies, and the private sector to help stabilize our local economies. The recovery response to the impacts of the coronavirus should start with local and federal government agencies bringing small business owners, entrepreneurs, organizations, and community leaders to the table to discuss the best possible paths forward. And here's how I believe that cities can get started. Number one, start by assessing the city's available resources. Next, break down the city's business sectors. In the undertaking of developing each sector, cities and our states should establish resiliency committees. The committees will develop, implement, and support building the infrastructure framework. From there, you can create a resiliency strategy based on um, the business type, size, the amount of help the business needs, um, resources such as capital and, and, and any other available resources. Remember, small businesses not only need immediate relief, but a long-term resiliency strategy. And, you know, speaking of resiliency and and financial relief, let's talk about financing options for small businesses and startups. Access to capital is essential for business stability. The financial industry, including its practices, needs a complete overhaul. I believe that banks need to create new lending programs that meet the needs of today's companies, including business models. Traditional financing options create barriers for startups and small businesses to access capital 
needed to grow and scale their companies. And, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, lenders require for entrepreneurs to meet a very specific criteria in order to qualify for most business loans. Like, for instance, to show that you have cash flow. According to lenders, you know, one of the reasons is that it proves you have the ability to repay repay back the loan. Um, your and, and of course, your savings and, and reserves are also required for most business loans, or at least showing proof that you have savings and reserves. The applicant is then required to provide documentation as proof. And this could include like, you know, cash flow statements, bank statements, an income statement, um, a balance sheet, forecast statement, or a business plan. Personal credit um, is also a deciding factor in qualifying for a business loan. Lenders will review an applicant's credit history to ensure that the um, borrower has a positive credit rating. And, you know, this may sound like it's, it's, it's straightforward. However, each business model is vastly different than those that were created some 100 years ago when traditional large banks and credit unions were created even 10 years ago. Throughout the years, lending guidelines and practices haven't changed much or at all for that matter. The lending industry is very much an antiquated industry from systems to underwriting guidelines. For example, if you're looking to purchase commercial real estate as an entrepreneur, some lenders may require an applicant to put down 35% to 40% as a down payment on commercial real estate property. It is well known that black households hold significantly less wealth than white households in the United States. Most black entrepreneurs do not have 35 to 40% towards a down payment. Black entrepreneurs wouldn't likely meet the requirements of purchasing commercial real estate with the current guidelines in place. I mean, sure, there are other alternatives to financing commercial real estate. However, traditional banks rarely offer loan products with favorable terms um, that are low cost, affordable loans with low interest rates. And rarely are they extended to black entrepreneurs, those types of loans. This is what I mean when I say that the that lending programs need to be revised to meet the needs of today's small businesses and startups. Let's break down the data. Data from the 2016 survey of consumer finances, which is the most recent available, indicate that Black Americans possess 2.6% of the nation's wealth while constituting 13% of the population. The average Black household has a net worth of $800,000 less than the average white household. The median or typical Black household reported $43,000 or 56% less wealth than the, the median white household reported. And that source is from the Brookings um, Institute. Policymakers need to create new policies to support Black entrepreneurship that closes the wealth gap. I believe that financial institutions need to step up and assist with restoring and stabilizing Black-owned businesses and communities. Because while the coronavirus has impacted small businesses, let's further discuss infrastructures and policies that are in place 
in which contributes towards economic disparities within the financial system. The CRA and or the Community Reinvestment Act. The Community Reinvestment Act was enacted in 1977. The act requires the Federal Reserve and other federal regulators to encourage financial institutions to help meet the credit needs of communities in which they do business. They are also known as low and moderate income neighborhoods. Only a certain number of banks are obligated to comply with CRA. The Federal Reserve evaluates banks to determine if the institutions are meeting their CRA obligations. The object of the CRA is that banks are encouraged to lend to lower income communities. Without access to capital, residents in low income communities are economically at a disadvantage, thus resulting in poverty. For entrepreneurs and small businesses who reside in these communities, they're oftentimes forced to bootstrap their enterprises rather than turning to their local bank for capital. Some small businesses may never reach the business's full potential due to lack of access to capital needed to start, grow, and scale their companies. According to the U.S. Federal Reserve, less than 47% of financing applications filed by African-American business owners get approved. Black business owners were turned down for loans at twice the rate of white business owners. The best way to overcome these challenges is to have an honest conversation about discriminatory practices in the banking industry. Black-owned businesses were at risk before the crisis, and that's the point that I'm trying to illustrate here. The impacts of the coronavirus exasperated an already broken infrastructure that clearly wasn't benefiting the people and communities it intended to serve. We need to look at the best possible way forward for developing communities from a a holistic lens and explore new diverse tactics to provide better opportunities for people. There are multiple ways we can address these issues through, you know, policies, community development loans and programs. Um, An example, J.P. Morgan and Chase recently committed to creating change that reflects racial equity within underserved communities. This move was more than likely influenced by the, you know, civil and political protests, um, the civil unrest, the political protests earlier this year, and um, which was brought about by the unfortunate deaths of George Floyd and many others. Financial institutions and companies around the country pledged to commit upwards of billions of dollars to advancing racial equity. On October 8th, 2020, J.P. Morgan Chase announced that the bank intends to impart business expertise, policy and philanthropic efforts to underserved communities. Um, Jamie Dimon, CEO and chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase wrote on his blog post, um, quote, systemic racism is a tragic part of America's history. We can do more and do better to break down 
systems that have propagated racism and widespread economic inequality, especially for Black and Latinx people. It's long past time that society addresses racial inequities in a more tangible, meaningful way. Unquote. A few ideas that come to mind when discussing initiatives and how financial institutions and other organizations can contribute towards creating that change is number one, we can start by assessing the data. I mean, if the object is to stabilize and restore black and brown businesses then cities across the nation need to do a better job at creating and implementing data tracking um, analytics systems and processes to help manage and improve their efforts. Currently, it appears that tracking and monitoring black and brown businesses is somewhat difficult to track in like some states. Presently, the data is categorized based on small business size, structure and number of employees. Um, A lot of the data is not broken down by race. So it's kind of hard to assess where communities stand, let alone the resources they may need or may be in need of without this data being present. Having a system in place that tracks and monitors data enables local and state government to understand where the need is and how your efforts are effectively helping your business community. And what I mean about the data is this data being available on your local city um, and or government website. Think about it. If you aren't tracking business closures or even openings, then you certainly can't understand what the needs are for the community, let alone what resources members of the community are in need of. Um, More importantly, the financial health of certain areas around the city. Another step that needs to be added to this process is community outreach. I feel like a lot of cities across the nation can do better community outreach to stay connected and engaged to the community. Cities can do a better job at engaging and connecting with their local business community, um, as well as looking at the data that supports their efforts. Um, You know, how else would you know that you're meeting the needs of your constituents? And I'm not talking like about a survey here and there. I'm talking about holding more um, frequent open meetings and events with the business community, listening to the feedback from the residents, really engaging with them, building relationships and rapport with entrepreneurs, visiting establishments, you know, um, analyzing data to track and monitor trends, um, collecting data from the entrepreneurs within the community and taking action on the findings, you know, working with the community on best possible ways to address some of their challenges, bringing, when you have the relationship with entrepreneurs in the community, um, you can bring them to the table to help discuss, you know, best possible ways forward, you know, as it relates to the challenges that they're facing. Co-op lending and real estate programs. I think that a program that may be helpful for small businesses um, are opportunities to participate in cooperative structured loan or even lease programs. Co-ops allow small business owners the ability to collectively own the space, 
share the costs associated with renting or purchasing buildings, including splitting equity. More lenders in cities should create lending and lease programs unique to commercial real estate and equity sharing. This includes offering affordable, responsible financing options with low interest rates and favorable terms or even grant programs. Grants are probably more favorable as they position business to have little to no debt, which helps ease the financial burden of starting and growing a business. I also think that it's time that we re-examine current real estate practices practices and laws. Um, You know, since we're on the subject of retail and commercial spaces, uh, you know, can we have a real discussion about commercial leases and real estate practices from a small business owner's perspective? You know, I want to touch on like tenant rights and leases. As much as people talk about, you know, we going back to normal, you know, normal was not working for everyone, including business owners who lease and own, you know, who lease lease commercial real estate, should I say. When we talk about gentrification, it is almost always synonymous with housing, but rarely is the emphasis placed on small businesses. Gentrification impacts small businesses through increased rents, unfavorable lease terms, forced evictions, to property transfers re- resulting in business owners forced to relocate with no altern- um, with no alternate location. How many business owners have had to leave their locations because the property sold and they were unable to find a comparable location? Think about it. Each city needs to really investigate the real estate practices of property owners. There needs to be mandates in place that are enforced that regulates landlord leases, protects tenant rights, including forced evictions and foreclosures. And, you know, this may require um, for cities to establish a, a, a task force or an audit committee. Cities need to, you know, have an audit process in place to, again, track and monitor trends, track repeat offenders, more importantly, to ensure that the property owners are um, complying with current laws and regulations. As we're on the subject of tenant rights, I think that retroactive pay should be immediately activated for those that were wrongfully evicted. Um, The current process for achieving funds due to wrongful convictions is very convoluted in some states. Um, I think that as part of the task force or committee, they need to investigate evictions to track trends quarterly, analyze illegal practices and, you know, track the trends to mitigate the risks that are associated with predatory tactics. When you track the trends, you can create laws to protect the tenants. Now, I know that, you know, this particular topic may make people cringe or even freak out at this thought, but put a cap on leases. Like the amount and time frame for rent leases, contracts, and practices, I think need to be reexamined. Look at the data from, you know, your local rent memorandums the city's put in place in response to the coronavirus and like, Pay attention to the amount of rent tenants were paying and compare it to see if the leases were in fact favorable. That should give you an idea of the financial health of your local business community. 
it also might put some things into perspective. Like how much money are your local businesses spending, especially small businesses to remain in operation in your city? That is what community at a glance is really about. Like looking at the business health of your communities and assessing where improvements can be made. Um, let's move on to revitalizing neighborhoods one bite of property at a time. One of the be- the one of the biggest challenges that small businesses have is locating affordable retail and commercial spaces. What you know, what business types need to have access to retail and commercial spaces? Well, obviously like restaurants, chefs, manufacturers, artists, photographers, um, fitness instructors. What if there was a way to boost the local economy while also revitalizing neighborhoods? And here's here's how. Um, Honestly, many of your abandoned buildings could be used as entrepreneurial hubs for small businesses and startups. I actually had discussed this um, with Lloyd Vassell. He is the founder and CEO of Arawak Farms in Oakland. It's a food specialty store carrying vegan and gluten-free spice blends. Imagine having multiple locations around the city that cultivated small businesses, um, food startups, clothing designers, photographers, art studios, um, food fairs. Each hub could offer training and growth programs. I mean, my organization, the Corporate Concierge Group, has experience with developing these business programs. Partnerships with banks and lenders can help facilitate in providing um, business owners with like startup capital. Each city could create a marketing initiative to help promote the businesses to drive traffic to the businesses, um, both on their social media platforms as well as um, the locations themselves. And this is what you know, a coordinated effort looks like in terms of working collaboratively together to help reopen, stabilize, and grow our local business community. And, you know, let's talk about building renovations. Um, I think that cities could benefit from creating programs that helps assist with um, building renovation costs. Um, Establish a startup capital program that allows entrepreneurs to, you know, um, access funds provided by city programs, philanthropic donations or lenders to pay for um, construction costs for renovating um, these buildings uh, in various different areas um, as it relates to like dilapidated buildings. In terms of um, capital, either offer grant programs or low cost loans for purchasing or renovating dilapidated buildings. Cities should Um, offer incentives for renovating, purchasing, or leasing in certain areas. For entrepreneurs looking to lease spaces, flexibility on leases in those specific areas should be um, required and or like mandated. The object is to increase the presence of small businesses while revitalizing neighborhoods around the city. One way to create jobs and possibly, you know, prevent gentrification from happening within the community is um, this, you know, concerted effort of encouraging the community to reinvest in it, um, to preserve it. Um, A way to that, you know, we can 
create jobs within the community is to um, obviously hire local construction companies and or contractors to do the work. Um, you know, if, if cities kept a roster of approved contractors or construction companies on a list for small business to hire, it would help with, you know, um, being able to connect um, business owners with local contractors and construction companies for renovations. Um, permits and licensing. Obtaining proper permits for construction and renovation costs can take weeks and months, depending on the size of the project. Take a look at the existing approval process for permits and licensing. Can applications be submitted in a more efficient way? Are there any areas that can be improved or enhanced in the current permit process? For example, is it possible to accelerate the application process? This would require a more streamlined process for permits and, and licensing, of course, but you know, how many steps are in the approval process? What are the most frequent mistakes that applicants make when applying for permits? What delays a permit decision? Find out what areas can applicants save time and money. Again, the object here is to reduce time, um, the amount of time it takes to obtain a permit. The cost associated with starting a business in the city, particularly you know after the pandemic, when small businesses are either out of business or reopening, um, you know they're they're going to need alternative financing options as well as options for. Um, opening their businesses in either new locations or possibly old ones. Um, and let's talk about incentives. Um, most cities offer large organizations a variety of incentives for opening businesses and or moving their companies to their city. Well, what about local cities incentivizing small business owners to um, reopen or even open period? Offer incentives to small businesses, um, such as like tax credits or work opportunity credits, incentivizing targeted groups of people, utility rate discounts. The same incentives that, that your large city um, offers um, big corporations should be passed down to startups and small businesses as well, too. I mean, they are the bedrock of your community. So earlier I was discussing like how um, the, the private sector would need to um, contribute towards this community effort, um, including like large um, corporations to community leaders and local government um, to help stabilize local economies. And since we're on the subject about partnerships, here's where local companies can assist with this project. You know, as we're on the subject of, of renovating blighted properties in certain areas around the city, um, home improvement stores such as Home Depot, um, Lowe's, Sherman Williams can provide, um, you know, either discounted rates or donate resources for small businesses to retrofit some of these spaces or to renovate some of the spaces around the city, um, particularly um, to retrofit spaces that meets the very specific requirements according to CDC and public health and other city requirements. Another great partner is TaskRabbit. TaskRabbit is an on-demand service that offers handiwork and contract services for gig workers on their platform. Um, it's estimated by the Freelancers Union that some 57 million Americans are gig workers. If we can create opportunities for gig workers in the construction sector to um, 
help with this initiative. We can not just boost local economies through job creation, but as well as um, the revitalization project as well, too. Um, And, you know, here's how cities can contribute towards this collaboration um, as it relates to blighted properties. Um, You know, if cities can provide like a database of blighted buildings across the city, like, um, and do in routine inspections of, of abandoned buildings for small businesses to purchase and lease. I think that would also, um, you know, increase the visibility of areas that, uh, people may be interested in moving into, um, the list, um, I think would also provide people with very specific, um, requirements that are needed and are repairs needed to be done to these properties, giving business owners um, an overall idea of what it will take to restore some of these buildings. The list would include data such as like required repairs needed to bring the building up to code as well as zoning laws. The information could be, you know, obviously housed in a centralized area, um, obviously on the, the internet or even in local government agencies, um, but it should be easily accessible information for business owners to access and download. And again, I think that the process can help facilitate with a number of things from tracking the number of empty spaces and lots in around the cities, while also giving business owners the opportunity to purchase and lease spaces around the city. And business owners can then hire city approved you know, contractors to rehab the buildings based on the inspector's findings. So as we close out, I think it is important for us to explore new diverse strategies for developing local economies with the focus on equitable access and inclusion, particularly of those um, underserved communities. Um, I'm Siobhan Baker. I'm the host of the Siobhan B podcast. I would totally love to hear your thoughts on today's segment. Tweet me at Siobhan CEO. Let me know what you think about the segment. You know, share some of your thoughts Um, Share some of your strategies on how your local city and government can implement um, various different strategies to improve your communities. You have tuned into the Shivami podcast where we explore new perspectives, ideas, and narratives around entrepreneurship. Hear from the latest, um, including myself, um, about entrepreneurship, best practices, insights, and inspiring stories. Until next time, people, let's keep building. Let's keep inspiring and uplifting one another. More importantly, let's collaborate today to create a better tomorrow.